0: Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest.
1: Welcome to today's program, and we have a very, very interesting guest. His name is George Verwer. George is the founder of Operation Mobilization and a man that I met 50 years ago in England. So, George, thank you so much for being on the program.
2: Great to be back with you, Dan. You're such a special friend.
1: Well, thank you. I always remember George. My dad had a little mission hall in Birmingham, England, and uh, you. I think it was in the relatively early days of Operation Mobilisation, or OM. And I never forget you really shook everybody up in the church. And one of the elders went up uh, afterwards, and I I was standing by him, and he said, "Young man." And he spoke of it like Ozzy Osbourne. He said, young man, if uh, if you continue to preach like that, you'll go a long way. And you certainly <laughs> have, George. But thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to uh, have a, You know, we sort of reversed roles in a way, didn't we? You moved to the U.K. and I moved over here. That's right. Now, tell us, first of all, before we talk about your book, Messiology, and I know you've been just speaking to the staff there at Gospel for Asia, just outside of Dallas, and um, tell us a little bit about the early days of OM, how it got started, and uh, and then why you moved to England.
2: Well, Dan, it, uh, it all goes back to a woman, a praying woman, near my high school, MC New Jersey, just outside New York City, and... Uh, I wasn't a Christian, and I was really in a home with, with some degree of Christian values, and she prayed for me and sent me a gospel of John through the post, through the mail, and God used that to prepare my heart for a one-night meeting in New York City when Billy Graham preached to 20,000 people and called us to repent and believe, and I took that step of faith, and he saved me and sent me. She not only prayed that I'd become a Christian, she prayed that I would become a missionary. Amazing. And God heard her prayers. Within a year or two, I was on my way to Mexico and celebrated 60 years since O.M. We didn't have that name then because O.M.'s deeper roots are all in Europe. But the 60 years since three of us from Maryville College, Tennessee, went to uh, distribute 10,000 Gospels in Mexico.
1: Wow, what a start. And I believe you were called the Send the Light in those days?
2: Yeah, that's the first name I registered in 1958. I registered a legal entity. I set up a board of trustees that I've always been accountable to. And uh, we just look back with joy at, you know, tens of thousands of answers to prayer. But things really got going in Europe because the original vision was only Muslim countries, closed countries, and communist countries. But uh, when I got arrested by the Soviets in my first smuggling effort due to my own stupidity, I went for a day of prayer and they finally let me go. And um, God gave me the name Operation Mobilization, and the vision to see Germans and and uh, French and Brits, Swedes, Dutch working together in what I used to call, still good, revolution of love. Because what? we just saw revolution of hate take millions of lives in Europe, and, and in an amazing way, that's when God moved me from Spain to Britain. And Britain was really right—the universities, the churches, for this strong message. The next summer we had 200 people. The next summer we had 2,000. And since then, this is not an exaggeration. Over 200,000 have served with OM around the world in a short time. But not, you know, also many long
1: times What What is so fascinating about that visit you made to um, my dad's little church is that Johnny Miles, one of our the, uh, the friends there from the church, joined OM and went to India. Um, And uh, you had a terrific work in India, but also Peter Conlon. Uh, He used to work with us. He was at the Birmingham Bible Institute. And tell us a little bit about, the first of all, the work in India, and then also Peter Conlon.
2: Yeah, I'm in touch with both both those brothers. But Peter Conlon and I especially, um, we especially worked together a lot. He's such a dear brother and was with me in India. Back in those, um, you know, in those early days, I went out to visit the teams that I had sent there, and um, it changed the course of my life. I knew God wanted me to join them and pioneer that work, and that became our greatest work. That's where KP Yohanan, just 50 years ago, KP Yohanan came into my meeting in Bangalore. And made a radical commitment to the Lord Jesus in global missions. And he and I this morning had wonderful uh, personal fellowship. And last night we celebrated the 50 years in front of a great uh, gathering. So we, uh, the work in India really, in the first 30 or 40 years, was sowing the seed. Probably uh, half a billion people were given the gospel. But in the last 15 or 20 years, we've been reaping the harvest. So much so it's had to become a separate. Indigenous church movement called Good Shepherd Churches, about three thousand churches, uh, much smaller than uh, the Believers Churches, which are linked with KP Yohanan. by the way, in the, in the Believers Churches in India today, there are three million three million members.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, in the,
2: in uh, my... I don't I don't believe that's exaggerated because they're very strong on keeping addresses, keeping statistics, and uh, you know, no wonder the. Satan has attacked that work so viciously especially the the base here in Texas over these past years they've been going through you know complex time because it's very hard to keep all the Lord's servants happy (laughs) So you know some people get uptight about things yeah this is one of my new themes Uh, maybe my next book I don't think so but I call it (laughs) Uh, the danger of toxic perfectionism, <laughs> that in our, in our effort for excellency and holiness, the enemy who's clever vaccinates us with toxic perfectionism. So we become very critical, very negative, often also uh, quite brutal on ourselves. And it leads to disunity and, and heartbreak and confusion and broken marriages and lots of other things. So I talk about this in my new book, Methodology which was the theme of the meeting last night.
1: Well, just before we, we talk about that, because I'm really interested in uh, in your comments on that, but I remember Johnny Miles telling me that uh, the, in those early days in India, you the, some of the people used to sleep under their trucks and they were attacked by Hindus. What, was it quite dangerous in those days, George?
2: It wasn't really, but there were the isolating incidents, which were difficult, and of course bad news travels quicker than good news, but uh, we experience phenomenal freedom for mass evangelism, for preaching, and uh, that has greatly changed now. So these are much more difficult days for that kind of, uh, straight in your face evangelism. And, um, we use different methods. Uh, we still show, do a lot of film shows, always attempting to leave, leave behind it you know, a group of worshipers in in a good shepherd church.
1: Now, messiology, instead of missiology, (laughs) messiology, what a great name. Why did you call it that, George? And tell us, you know, really some of the stories that you you bring out in the book.
2: Well, you know, for 60 years, I'm being really honest, I've seen an awful lot of messes, an awful lot of things going wrong in churches, on the mission field, personality bust-ups, You know, immorality, very sad things. I can't pretend they don't exist. Uh, And years ago, God gave me a proverb, I guess, just for survival. And I began to preach on this proverb, where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together. Sooner or later, there's a mess. (laughs) And and then I began to always point out how God somehow still worked. And out of the blue, God just gave me this word. Of course, not in the dictionary, but it just seemed a natural word, messiology. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a theology in which we realize God works in messy situations. It doesn't catch him by surprise that even one of his outstanding workers suddenly does something stupid, and God, of course, he hates sin, but if that person knows Jesus, it's, it's the Lord's child, it's God's child. His sin is covered by his precious blood, and God is very merciful and forgives, and works, and I could give you hundreds of examples, including heavy stuff, like God mightily using white people in South Africa practicing apartheid. or blessing in a tremendous way people in our own country in the beginning when they were practicing slavery. How can this be? I never had anybody hardly ever explain this to me, and it just seemed so strange. What kind of God is this? Uh, you know, he should be judging those people. And God, of course, wanted us to change that situation. Eventually, very slowly, we did. Then we practiced segregation for how many more years? But God was blessing and using segregationists. They were sending out missionaries. God was blessing them. So that's just a little example of probably over a thousand things I've seen that that didn't really make sense until I shifted my view of how God works And I call it messiology.
1: I imagine even in uh, Operation Mobilization, you've had a few messes there. Would, Would that depress you, George, when you'd have to get in the middle of some of these problems? Yeah, I mean, I
2: was very committed to excellency. I once gave a message at an OM conference. We must aim for zero defects. I learned it from the business world. And I produced little cards, Zero defects. (laughs) So we were committed to excellency, but if you're not careful, you set yourself up through what I now call toxic perfectionism, and uh, there were many messy situations in our movement, and it's a bit sad that the official history of OM is very clean. It doesn't bring out uh, these messy situations. There was not a single nation. We're in 110 nations now. I led the work for 46 years. There was not a single nation where we didn't have some degree of a mess. <laughs> and, you know, when the charismatic movement hit the U.K., not the old line Pentecostal movement, which was already there, the new charismatic movement hit the U.K. the same time as us. Soon there was a mess in almost every church in the U.K., and we were caught in the middle of it. And one of my very best men I thought was going to be my U.K. leader for years You know, he wrote me that, you know, you're not enough into the gift of the Spirit and what God is doing today, and, you know, I'm leaving. And, uh, you know, I saw him walk out the door leaving me with the mess (laughs) of who's going to take on that uh, that job.
1: Did you eventually sort of resolve the, uh, because, you know, I was living in England at that time, and... Many of the uh, Christian brethren, uh, you know, I mean, you would be kicked out of the church if you uh, talked about the gifts of the Spirit. How did you finally resolve that? Well, I
2: wrote a booklet called Extremism, and it cl- clearly showed that we wanted to work with all of God's people, including charismatic and Pentecostal people. And many believe the wise decision of OM, though our background was Moody Bottle Institute, Billy Graham, You know, they were a bit anti-Pentecostal charismatic. Billy Graham quickly changed and got crucified uh, by people because of it. But I think one of our wisest things is we did not become anti. We did not want to be a movement that was anti-this, anti-that. But we were anti-extremism, and I think that God used that booklet to keep the unity. So when charismatic Pentecostal people came on OM, they didn't necessarily push those things that were so controversial, you know, like the speaking in tongues thing. And God honored that. And many of our great recruits uh, came from, uh, you know, charismatic and Pentecostal churches, and especially in Europe, not so much in the States, the door just wide open for me to minister in the Elam churches, the Assembly of God, and then the new charismatic uh, groups like New Frontiers. We We have a lot to celebrate.
1: Now, George, I remember, um, by the way, I was at the Movie Guide Awards uh, uh, last Friday, and uh, we missed you there. But I always remember you are very famous for wearing this um, sort of jacket with the the globe on it. And... Um, I remember my wife, Norma, and myself, we chatted with you in your room, and then we went down, and there were you talking to Mickey Rooney, of all people, with your, with your bomber jacket, with your Atlas uh, on. Um, why, why did you used to go to the Movie Guide Awards?
2: I got very linked with Ted Bear. I've always been into film. In the earliest teens, in the 60s, moving across the whole of Europe, we had film teams, and, um, and the ship. Part of the reason for the ship was tied in with the film ministry. and in India we've seen tens of thousands come to Jesus through the, the famous Diatoa film. And of course, Ted Bear's uh, unique ministry I just think is so important. Uh, so I'm linked with that. I'm on the Council of Reference. And because I live in London, I don't always get to um, you know to California for that great event. It was great to see you there. And God gave me this global jacket. I really believe I discovered it on a guy, and you know, we made it popular around the world. I've been through 250 of them. I just gave <laughs> the one I've been wearing for weeks. That just went. I just gave it to a guy this morning. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's a great visual aid. I don't use PowerPoint. I use my my mouth and then my global jacket.
1: <laughs> Can you remember what you were talking to Mickey Rooney about?
2: I certainly don't. But I also <laughs> remember at that event uh, meeting. Uh, Chuck Norris, because I met him, I became a Walker fan.
1: Doesn't seem a bit violent. Yeah, on on this latest one, I got the shock of my life. Uh, Suddenly, a lady called Bo Derek appeared before me, and uh, I was able to interview her. She was there. She just made a family-friendly film. Of all people, the lady from the movie Ten making a family-friendly film, so that was great. But you've now also mentioned the ship ministry, which is another extraordinary part of the work that you do. Tell us how that started and what's going on with it.
2: Well, I went to U.K. Little did I know I'd end up living there. I live in London, as you know. And I was headed for Spain, but I went to France on the Queen Elizabeth to pick up an old car. They were selling cheap in Paris. In, the, in an amazing way, it began to develop that a ship was a great tool for world evangelism. You could travel and study at the same time. It attracted attention. In India, we developed a big book ministry, and then in Nepal, an educational book ministry. And so I got the idea of an educational book ship so that we could get into countries that may not want so many Christian books. So we launched the first ship in 1970, and um, it was very successful. So we soon launched our second ship, the Dulaas. First one was Lagos, and God has blessed that ministry for 40, uh, you know, 47, 48 years. We lived on the ship, my whole family, pioneering it for the first uh, year. It was also very much tied in with the vision for uh, for India. And there's not time to go into details, but we had a lot of reasons why we went into the ship ministry. It wasn't just uh, some kind of feeling trip. It was well thought through over a period of six years, and then I got my first captain, got my first chief engineer, and all the staff all these years have been believers. It's a tremendous story.
1: And you have like a floating book ministry, I understand.
2: Yeah, the ship is is known as as the book ship. It's known all over the world. Um, It's known as the book ship. Uh, We get 20,000 visitors sometimes on a weekend through the book exhibit, and the sales from the books, even though they're bargain books, the sales from the books really help pay for the uh, fuel because the ship can be expensive. 400 live on the new ship. We're always looking for recruits. That's why I still take these radio interviews. Uh, we really need recruits because a lot on the ship are only for a year. And the ship will be in South America. We're looking for Spanish speakers. <laughs> it's in, uh, having tremendous time in Colombia. Right now, our new director is actually a Korean. OM is very international. There's 40 nationalities or more on the ship, probably 100 on OM. And we just thank God that Global Missions is now an international movement uh, with almost every nation in the world of any size getting involved in Global Missions. It's a very exciting uh, period for Global Missions and the greatest time of harvest of people to Jesus the world has ever known.
1: George, how do, how do people, if they, if they would like to find out how they can maybe join the ship, particularly Spanish speakers, where, where do they, who do they contact?
2: You know, I think that if they just contact me, you can Google my name and get more information than you'll ever want. <laughs> and you, I'm so easy to get in contact with george.berwer at om.org, and then I'll forward it to the right office. But you don't get that many responses, so those who do respond, I like to pray for them, maybe send them some free books and and put them in touch with our office. So I'm happy to receive that personally.
1: Now, I was thrilled, uh, was it two or three years ago now, there was a a documentary film made about you. Um, What was it called, George? And uh, did, did you have like a crew following you around or what?
2: Yeah, a, a film organization in the U.K., Christian Television Associates, uh, founded by a former lemmer, former ship guy. It was their idea. Initially, I wasn't interested. But then I said, look, if you're willing to just follow me, not, be, not give me a script, not, not tell me what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go. If you just follow me around the world, so Mexico, Spain, Nepal, of course, the U.K., Singapore, on the ship. And the editor did it. We had 18 hours, and I was a bit discouraged. How are they going to put this into a 55-minute film that impacts youth? I wanted it to be geared for youth. And the editor, a Scottish guy, he did it. When I saw the 55 minutes, and God has just taken that. It's been on television all over the world. The latest was in Mandarin. It's dubbed it in many languages, and we believe God's using it to get young people and others uh, mobilized into uh, into global missions.
1: And what's it called, George?
2: It's called George for Real. And then we had all this footage, so we just released a new film called George Uncut, of <laughs> some pretty wild footage that we never used.
1: Now the one person we haven't mentioned so far is Drina, your lovely wife. Tell us about Drina. How did you meet her, and uh, how has she put up with all your travelling?
2: Well, she was totally committed to global missions, even when I met her. It's a miracle story. I had so much complexity with girls after my conversion, you know, leading him to Christ and then kissing him for the next half hour. Um, (laughs) And then kissing a girl once in a car in the woods, and the police caught me. And I thought, uh, you know, I need to be set free from this. So I went on a fast. No more girls, no more kissing. That's when I went to Mexico, learned Spanish at the beginning of this work. That's when I left university studies and went to Moody. Well, I arrived at Moody, and um, I went to rent an evangelistic film, and the woman in charge of the film, uh, you know, I think I was very vulnerable by then, two years. It was love at first sight for her when she heard me speak. It was fright at first sight. But, <laughs> uh, we had a date, and I, I it was so wonderful, a feeling I had to it I thought it might be from the devil. So I, I said to her, literally... Uh, probably nothing going to happen between you and me, but you need to know I'm going to be a missionary, and if you marry me, you'll probably be eaten by cannibals <laughs> in, in, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, anyway, she wasn't in love, but I mobilized prayer, and she read in the school paper I was a man of God. That helped, and eventually uh, we got hooked up. We just celebrated 58 great years of marriage.
1: Amazing, dear me. How how has she cope with life in Britain? Because you know it must be so different.
2: No, no, she she loves Britain. She's a British citizen now, as well as American, and we're going to stay there. In anyway it's fifty percent cheaper to die and get buried there than to come here. Though so they're trying to push that price up, but um, we we're committed to Europe. We live in Britain because we're strongly committed to Europe. I ministered in almost every nation in Europe. Europe is a mission field. OM is very widely known, much more than here in the states. We get thousands of Europeans on OM. Uh, every couple of years, Teen Street attracts 4,000, counting the staff. So uh, we, w- we want to be there in Europe until the Lord takes us.
1: Now, uh, you've got your own website, George. Uh, tell us the website and what people will see on it.
2: It's georgeverward.com, and uh, also through YouTube, they can see a lot of short videos. We've done short videos All over the world, my grandson from England, Charlie, sitting with me here in the car, he does some of those videos. And um, there's other information, of course, on the website, georgeverwer.com, and people through the website often, of course, email me for free books. And Facebook, I'm very active on Facebook, so people can uh, check into Facebook and also get a lot of information about me and sign up for one of my Facebook sites. I use all these things in prayer. Sometimes I spend seven hours in prayer in one day, especially when I have long-distance travel.
1: Amazing. Do you ever sleep?
2: No, I'm very keen on getting good sleep, so I get (laughs) good sleep most
1: evenings.
2: (laughs) I used to be extreme in thinking it was more spiritual to sleep less. But as I got older and read different articles, I thought, uh, you know, sleep is a little more important than I thought.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, George, is there any other uh, – you've got that one book you've mentioned. Do you think that will eventually uh, materialize, the, you know, the, the perfection book?
2: I don't know. It's just something I'm wrestling with now. Um, I have a million books out there in print and distributed. The amazing thing about messiology, and with the mess we are here in the USA and many other places, including UK with Brexit and all that, my book on messiology, even for non-Christians, can be very encouraging. Uh, people who have been buffeted and disappointed maybe with the church or confused about the music controversy, the Bible translation controversy, they will be blessed out of the socks. I have had feedback from leaders all over the world, uh, positive feedback about this book. So my dream is that the book could get more wide Circulation. Moody Bible Institute itself is going through the biggest crisis it's had in years, and I believe God is continuing to work there. But it's a proof of, of the book that they published. Wow. And the original title was was More Drops: Mystery, Mercy, and Messiology. Moody Press insisted on making the title Messiology. By the way, I send it free to anybody who contacts me, even sometimes three hundred at a time. They give to everybody in the church. As a gift, and uh, just in the past two days, even at a wedding, I just I'm here because of a wedding of a close friend, and uh, he insisted we have books at his wedding, and <laughs> the Messiology was the number one. As they came out of the wedding reception where I spoke, they picked up this book Messiology. <laughs> I believe God's got His hand on this. Well, I it's want... my legacy book after 62 years of serving the Living Jesus.
1: George, as always, it's a delight to talk with you again. GeorgeVerwa.com is the website. And George, God bless you, my friend. It's lovely to talk with you again.
2: We look forward to hearing from some
1: people. You've been such a tremendous support. Thank you, brother. God bless you then. <laughs>
0: You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at AOL.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.